Folks, we are back and we're delighted to be back. But just before the show begins, we just wanted to apologize for the poor quality of my mic. Unfortunately, we recorded the show, everything was fine, hit end on our on our microphones and for some reason mine just crashed and I lost everything. So what we've done is we've used the recording from Kay's mic and we've enhanced my voice as much as we absolutely can. We thought long and hard about what we should do. We considered re-recording the show another day but we came to the conclusion that it wouldn't be the same as what we've done today and we're really pleased with what we put down today. So we've enhanced everything as much as we can. We apologise sincerely for my mic being so poor. We've learnt an endless amount with regards to making sure that we actually take a third recording device just in case one of the mics doesn't work quite right, so this won't happen again. And we hope that you enjoy the show. Enough talk from me. Apologies again. Let's get on with the Bakery Bears radio show. Everybody, oh my goodness, it's so good to hear that music again. It is indeed, we're back. You're wondering what I was talking about, aren't you? Because obviously, oh, oh coffee machine. It's the coffee machine. If I... <laughs> it's the coffee machine. I have a coffee and I always forget to turn it off. But actually, I think secretly, even if I had remembered to turn it off, I think it does it because it wants to be part of the show. It must do. It's our other co presenter. Yeah. Folks, my goodness, we are well and truly back. We are indeed We're back, very excited yeah. about this. We're very excited. It's felt like ages and... The plan we sort of took with the, the radio show was we recorded in the height of summer and, you know, everything was done and dusted and really ready to go by the last week in July, wasn't it? Uh, yes, that'd yeah, be it was. right. It yeah. Was. yeah. Now, thank you all so much for the, the just wonderful response. It's been tremendous. It's been brilliant. Really unexpected. Having, um, you know, so many people get involved with uh, the Facebook group that we set up, which you can get involved with too if you want to. I'm actually going to post some things in there because I found certain things we're going to talk about today. I found some additional reading on, you know, for anyone who wants to sort of follow oh, up right. with some additional yeah, yeah. reading. Put the links. Homework. No, no, there's no homework. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? Yes. Homework. It, it definitely <laughs> yeah. is when you consider that schools We're going to be testing back. you. They have. They we have. totally should have a test. We should have a test, shouldn't we? To make sure people are listening. You yes. need your keys. Yes, no, we're, we're, going, just, to, we're going to. We're just leaving the house and we've got no keys. We are, but we're not quite ready yet because okay. no one knows what we're doing today. Oh, no, people you don't. People might have forgotten. You might have forgotten. What is the plan today, Mrs Jones? Our plan today is to have a chat about our love of history initially, but then moving on from that specifically, Egyptian history. And you have a question. I have a question. You do. Do I? It's the whole reason why we're doing this, this episode, this conversation. Is it the question of who do we think really built the pyramids? No, not who do we think. Uh, who who does, do you who think, do I think really built the pyramids? Oh, right, okay. Yeah. That is the question. That's the big question. <laughs> I have the keys, so we'll get out, we'll get on the way, and uh, we'll get this party started. I'm not happy about this. What? Well, it's September and the sun should not be beating oh, gosh, down no. on my forehead. No, it shouldn't. I have a jacket on, so yes, I am happy-ish, but I was really hoping that I'd be able to do my little happy dance today. I know, and I've already actually been for a walk this morning and it was lovely and cool and cloudy and just <laughs> perfect. And now, of course, the sun is just blazing. It's just not on. Uh, hey ho. But we don't mind. So we are. It's, I mean, the air is. It's, it, it definitely has a chill to it because we do need our jackets, but there's yeah. still that sort of late summer warmth. Yeah, in the air. it is very much still that. And yeah. those, and what are they? They're huge rose hips. So there are, and they, there used to be loads of those outside my house when I was growing yeah, up. Yeah, it's kind of a, I don't know what sort of rose it is. Look at that, It's blue. one that you see normally, it's quite sort of, um, you see it in a lot of sort of council parks and things. It looks like something you could go and eat. It's bright pink, the flower, it's bright pink. But the rose hips, 
a massive bit of cantaloupe like tomatoes, don't they? Can you do something with rose hips? Well, rose you can hip. make rose hip syrup, can't you? And right. it's massively high in vitamin C. All oh, right, okay. I think during the war, especially, right. they used to make rose hip syrup and give it to children because there was obviously a lack of, of everything right. during the war. Right. But rosehip syrup is fantastic for that. And I'm loving the, I mean, I've got no idea what these trees are, but I'm I think they're see. rowans. Right. It's great seeing. It's funny, actually, when I was walking this morning, I thought to myself, I'm always looking at the trees and I'm always thinking, what's that tree? What's that tree? And there's very few trees I can actually identify. So I thought to myself, I'm going to order a little book about British trees and I'm oh. going to educate myself right. so that I know what all these but trees are. It's the Buddleia. Oh, it, does it smell? No. Well, no, I don't think so. Well, it does a bit. There's loads of butterflies and bees all around it, it but it's very much on the way out now. Right. Yeah, there's runners just run past us and he's got a dog. That was impressive. He was really moving. Yeah. yeah, we're going into the woods, so we'll get rid of some of the car noise. Oh my word, I'm going to get run over. <laughs> that was a puddle. Oh, Huge no. puddle. Made it, made it. Right. Uh, look, this has become famous already. We've only done oh, four has episodes. It? Yeah. The, the gate, it's very wet. Yeah, but you know what needs to happen. You need to have a little kiss. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you very it's much. Right. So, yeah, we're in the woods now. Yeah, so history for us, I mean, for me, I think it was going to a school like what I went to, which clearly wasn't very good because that was awful English. What I went to. Are you all right? Oh, we're here? going up the hill, but yeah, that's fine. Yeah. We're going by the railway track, so you might hear the trains again. Yes. History for me, I think, was ingrained in me from a very young age because the school I went to was, was so historic. Can you can hear the tracks? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, from a very young age, I was sort of surrounded by history. Your sort of journey into history, I don't know where it started from because all I know is that you were interested in archaeology. I was. I always loved... My favourite subject at school, secondary school obviously, was geography. And I, I love geography and it wasn't... I mean, sometimes you love a subject because of the teacher, don't you? My teacher wasn't particularly inspiring, I've got to say. It just really interested me, you know. I, I was always fascinated by um, topography, you know, and what made that particular landscape. Why is that like that? Why does that river turn into an oxbow lake? Why? You know, all these kinds of things. Yeah. So I was always interested in geography. Right. And I think I probably just started watching Time Team, to be honest. That's maybe where the sort of archaeology thing came from. Was that a serious sort of consideration if you'd had the sort of encouragement when you were? If I'd had the opportunity to go to university I'm sure that that's what I would have studied. Right. Not history because I was never at school I was never really to be honest I was never really fussed about history and again I think that is down to the teacher. He was incredibly kind of he was an older man and he just wasn't very inspiring you know but if I was going to have chosen a subject for university, I'm sure it would have been something so around more, geography. It's more about the getting down in the dirt and digging stuff up. Yeah, I mean, I really, I'm really fascinated by that. Right. Yeah. So I suppose then you've got two people who are really interested in history, really enjoy sort of finding out about different aspects of it. Because for me, it's more, it's more about the stories and, yeah. and the people. And... I suppose it goes without saying that we would end up going on holiday to a place which really is synonymous with history. Yeah. And that's Egypt. Yeah. We both went. We did. Separate. Separately, not. Many, we didn't know. Many, years, many, many years ago. We didn't know each other at the time. Before we knew each other. Yeah. Yes. And it, it, you went. Now, now, we had to get this in because you've been very keen to be very specific on finding out exactly when you... Because I couldn't remember, but what I could remember was the following year, so the year after I went, was when it was the Luxor massacre. Do you know when there was that huge, awful shooting at the Temple of Hat Hatshepsut? And I'd been there yeah. literally just a few months prior. Right. And it really, 
you know, when something like that happens, it really sort of just makes you stop and think, doesn't it? Yeah. My goodness, I was stood there and that could have been me. And I was stood there a couple of years after that. Yeah, so I went in 1996. And I went in 1998. Eight. So actually quite close together we went. Yeah. So everything would have been the same, if you like. We, yeah. we kind of saw the same things, didn't we? Yes. I did a, a cruise down the Nile right. and so did you. Yeah. But I didn't, I, I just did a week a week's cruise down the Nile and that was it. It wasn't like a two-centre thing. I've got to say, one of the most... You know those moments in your life where you just think, oh my goodness, it does not get any better than this? Yeah. Was when I opened the curtains in my cabin on the Nile cruise. Yeah. My window was literally yeah, yeah. on the level. On the level. Same here, yeah. And it does not get any better than this. No. Which way do we go? <laughs> Up here. That way, sorry, I was just, I was lost. Um, yeah, it's, it's, gosh, I mean, it's such a, it's a really magical place. It is an absolutely astounding place, and it's unlike any other place. I've no, I've never been history. anywhere like it. Well, I, I think what makes it so fascinating is the belief system and the way that they lived their lives. It was so different from the Greeks, the Romans, or from any of those old civilizations, those really successful empire civilizations. You know, they just approached life in a very different way. And it all started, didn't it? I mean, it's so interesting to think that thousands and thousands of years ago, the Sahara was a big what? Oh, careful. <gasps> Did you hear that? I nearly fell. It just slipped on the roof. The Sahara was a big sort of lush. Yes, yes, it was. You know, rivers and yep, yep, absolutely it was. And the Egyptians, they were the, the tribes that lived on the Sahara. And then as the years passed and the water retracted, <laughs> things started to dry out, they moved closer and closer to the Nile. Around about 3500 BC, when you had lots of different tribes all living on different parts of the Nile. Yeah. And then things really sort of kicked off. Do you recall the Nama Palette? Sounds familiar. The Nama Palette was a, a thing that was found years and years and years ago, and it tells all about the first king of Egypt. Yeah. King Nama. And that was really where the sort of story of the Egyptians starts. started. Now, interesting to think that, because we're here to talk about the pyramids. Yeah. Interesting to think that um, King Nama, I think, was 3,100 BC, and within... Oh, six... I slipped. I slipped. Oh, <laughs> We've got wet roots. Though it's very wet in here and it's a little bit slippy, so... 600 years after King Nama. 600 years really... I mean, this really is when the questions, for me, start to arise, because, you know, you've got tribal people that come together and... and one guy's brought them all together as a nation. The first, it was the first nation state, mm. King Nama. And within 600 years, they developed the technology mm. to build the pyramids. Mm. Now, the pyramid in question, the one which we're going to talk about probably the most, is the biggest one. Yeah. And that was built by King Khufu in round about 2500 BC. And you have some questions around this. Well, do you know, it's a puzzle to me. The pyramids in general are a, are a huge puzzle. And I think the thing that I, I can't, no, there's lots of things that I really struggle to believe. You know, when, what the, the, the sort of facts that were told about the building of the pyramids. One of them is that, the Great Pyramid of Khufu was built in 20 years. And they know this from kind of um, the lifespan, isn't it, of the king, of King Khufu, and when he died and everything. Yeah. So apparently it was built in 20 years. Yeah. Now, when you calculate out 
there's about 2.3 million blocks yeah. of limestone yeah. in the Great Pyramid. Plus, there was the facing stones as well, which are actually sadly no longer there. There's just a few around the base that you can still see. But the Great Pyramid initially, when it was built, it was faced with gleaming, almost white stone. So it the seems, sides were completely smooth. It seems slightly sort of crazy to, to, to mention it, but one of the best representations of what that nearly looked like, because it's set a long time after it had been built, is the game Assassin's Creed yeah, Origins. Because yeah. what they've done in that is they've created a nearly perfect Greek world, but it's a long, it's still a long time after. So the facing stones are on, but they look right, a bit battered. Right. But for me, it was a real thrill to see that, yeah, you know, to get an idea of the scale and how amazing yeah, it would how have looked. It would have, you, I, I, I can't even imagine yeah. what this thing would have looked like, yeah. you know, setting the landscape that was there at the time. So, you know, this thing was, was built in 20 years yeah. and there's people that have worked out sort of calculations on the rate of the placing of the stones yeah. if it was built in that 20 year period. And it's something ridiculous like um, 200 a minute or something. I can't remember the specifics of the, exactly the rate yeah. that they were added. Yeah. And these are big stones. Oh, they're massive. They're like two tons maybe each. Yeah. You know, they're enormous. So there's that fact, you know, I, I just sit there and think, really, you know, in, in those days of very, obviously they didn't have the mechanical or did they? You know, history tells us that they didn't have the mechanical means of lifting these stones. Yeah, yeah. So all this was done by hand, yeah. by whatever method they used, because yeah. really nobody knows how they did it. Yeah. There's lots of theories about how they were built, but at the end of the day, nobody really knows. So I just really struggle to believe that that pyramid was built in 20 years even with the workforce that they say was there because yes the found remains of this huge sort of town yeah. that's alongside the pyramids where the workers apparently who built it right. lived and also they they, uh, they found uh, the the quarries as well yeah, yeah yeah but that's the other thing you see the stone came from quite a long way away only some of the stone some of it i think yeah. it was yeah, it's not all of it. I know it's not all of it, but the quarry is some distance away for some of the stone. Yeah. Maybe it was the facing it stones. Is the facing stone right. That came from a long way away. So you've got to then think how how did they move all of that stone? And again, there's lots of theories. There's theories about canals being there. Yeah. You know that they they made canals offshooting off the Nile. Yeah. There was barges that they used to transport the stone on. But then you've got to think, how did they physically do it yeah. with the technology that they had at the time? Yeah. So, so what, what is your, do you have some sort of answer? I'm not sure that the ancient Egyptians are the people who built the pyramids. I am open to the possibility that there was an older race of people who had a higher level of technology and understanding and ways of doing things. And what do you think happened to those people? Well, I don't know, but things that I've read and things that I've watched surmise that about 12,000 years ago there was some kind of cataclysmic event could have been a meteor hitting which is certainly a possibility but whatever it was it kind of ended this race of people and that the the pyramids were kind of a leftover you know a leftover piece of their Technology. their technology right. and that the Egyptians actually train <laughs> and that the Egyptians then came along X thousands of years later however long it was and basically reused them for their own purpose. Do you still have a theory on what the pyramids were, were used for? Well 
Again, I don't, but... <laughs> personally, I don't have a theory, but there are people who do have theories. Yeah. And I'm, I don't... You know, I'll say straight off, I'm not saying I, be, I fully believe any of it really, any theory. I'm open to the thought that yes, the Egyptians did build them, yeah. but I'm also open to thinking that they didn't. Right. And the theory goes that the pyramids were actually some kind of device for generating power. Right. And I know this sounds ridiculous when you say it. And yeah, it does sound a bit ridiculous. Yeah. But when you kind of look into it more, and especially when you look at the inside of the Great Pyramid yeah. and what's inside yeah. and the construction of it, yeah. it kind of starts to make a bit of sense. And, you know, I found myself thinking, oh, don't be ridiculous. This is the most ridiculous notion ever, yeah. you know, that these things were massive power generators. Yeah. And actually, the Egyptians just came across them hundreds, whatever, years later and just decided they obviously, presumably, didn't know what they were for either, but thought they would, they would make these amazing tombs. Um, because, you know, there's no other, there's only, th there's three on the Giza Plateau and there are other kind of half-built pyramids and things, aren't there? And lesser quality pyramids around. But it's not like every pharaoh was buried in a pyramid. You know, obviously no. they then no, moved no, no. on and started putting them in the Valley of the Kings. And you know why that is, don't you? It's something to do with the money, isn't it? They just didn't have the money. The primary problem was when you put a great big tomb in public view, and you fill it full yeah. of amazing treasure, it gets robbed. Well, yeah, that's the so thing, and you what know... What they did was, what they knew they had to do was, they knew they had to hide away. And that makes sense. Yes, because effectively, and actually something I found out in researching the show is, the word pharaoh wasn't introduced until Queen Hatshepsut. Right. And she came thousands of years after the first Kingdom. They were called kings, even the ladies. Who were called kings because many ladies were king regent. Yeah, and that happened because if the heir to the throne was six, yeah, he was not allowed to become king until he was eighteen. So his mum became Whoa, king, right? Absolute power. There are other theories about yes what the uh, pyramids were for. And yeah, one of the most compelling, I think, is the one that says there was an ancient race there was a cataclysmic event. They knew that the cataclysmic event was coming. Yeah. So what they did was they built a clock of which the pyramids yeah, are part yeah, of. Yeah, that's right. There's a countdown to the next To the next, yeah, yeah. So that we could be ready for it. And I suspect there's even more theories. I'm sure. You quite like the power one, don't you? I, I don't know that I like it. I mean, I'm not sure that's the right word to use, but I found it compelling. After getting over my initial scepticism, and that was huge, my initial scepticism was huge. Because, you know, you say these words, don't you? And it just sounds ridiculous. But actually, when you start looking at the evidence and you hear these very educated people who have been researching this their whole life, talk about it and give you their theories and explanations in a way that is just very convincing and very yeah. honest you know that it's they, they completely believe yes that this is the only yes yeah. that this is the only explanation for it yeah it's jurassic park here folks yeah it's nettles again everyone it's cool now gosh what i like Kay, very yeah. much is anything that fires off anyone's imagination absolutely and no i agree i agree and what i've really enjoyed with this kind of little process that i've gone through the past few months i've really enjoyed it filling my brain and making me think as dan said any time that your brain 
does that. I just think it's really good for you. Yeah, because it's, it's exercising parts of your Absolutely, brain. Absolutely, yeah. It can be quite dormant. And it's just really interesting, and I just find it fascinating. Yeah. With regret, <laughs> I think it's all hogwash. He does think it's hogwash. And, and, I'll tell and you you're all, we all, everybody's probably laughing at me as well, and that's fine. And I'll tell you why. Now, if you recall, what I said to you was when you started sort of talking about these things. Yeah. And I didn't talk to you about it for ages. Yeah. Because I knew what he would say. Well, no, no, no. I said to you, I think I was very good. You were, but I could tell you didn't believe a word I was saying. But what I said to you was, you use this as a starting point for further research. Yeah. What, the, the mistake I think so many people make is, you know, we live in a world where it's very easy to say things and for lots of people to hear. Yeah. And I think whilst a lot of these people, I'm sure, do believe what they're saying, yeah. I think there's an awful lot of other people who know that most people don't have the time to go and research no, these things No, no, yeah, true. And you're going to sell books, and you're going to get lots of views on your channel, and you're going to sell holiday tickets. Yeah. If you can create a compelling storyline... Oh, absolutely, and I'm fully aware of that. Because how much does that do charge? I know we're going to uh, talk about the Osiris Trench in a minute. But how much does that dude charge to go down the Osiris Trench? It's not him that charges it. Right. The, the Osiris shaft, it's not a trench. Sorry. The Osiris shaft is underneath the Sphinx. It's kind no, of... No, 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 Is not. it not underneath the I'll Sphinx? I'll tell you exactly where the Osiris where is shaft is. Now, you can read more. If you would like to read more about the Osiris shaft, I'll be uploading to our Facebook group. That's the Baker Bears Radio Show Facebook group, a uh, document written all about the Osiris Shaft. Right. The Osiris Shaft is on the walkway. Right. On the way up to oh, right. the okay. Temple of Khufu. Right, it's so about, it's kind of in between. Yeah, it's about halfway up. Right. On the left-hand side. Okay. You know, literally just off the walkway, down goes okay. the Osiris Shaft. Well, the Osiris Shaft, until very recent years, was not accessible to the general public. No. The, the fella who, what's his name? I can never remember his name. It's Hawass, is it? Yes, yeah. that's it. He used to be head of... He used to be head of antiquities in yes. Egypt. And, and when he... found it recently, again. Yeah, but he knew about it because he wrote about it years ago. He actually was the one that stopped it being open to the public. And it was only after he retired and someone else took over yeah. that they wanted to open it up to the public. Now, but I, I found out the reason why they shut it off to the public. Right. Because it it's floods, probably very dangerous. It floods. People yes. were, were trying to swim into it. And yeah. Lots I, of people were drowning. It's, it's not... I, I'm, I'd have to think twice about going down there. But you can now go down this shaft and you have to pay the Egyptian government, I think it's something like $2,000, yeah. to take a group of people down there. Yeah. So I've watched... It's a man called Brian Forster. I've watched him take groups of people down there and it is just weird. It's seriously just weird. And I, I couldn't think of any reason the Egyptians would have built this thing. It's basically a series of, there's like three levels. You go down one shaft on this rickety ladder that my goodness, you know, health and safety nightmare <laughs> so you go the Egyptians didn't have health and safety no <laughs> so you go down this rickety level ladder to one level yeah. and then down another level and I can't remember I think it's on the second level yeah. that there's all these kinds of niches yeah. cut out of the wall yeah. and in some of the niches in, I think it's two or three of them there are these gigantic um, boxes and they're made of some kind of stone, and I forget the name of the stone now. Um, but it's like, is it basalt? It might be basalt. But it's these gigantic boxes. Imagine just like a sort of sarcophagus, but much bigger. And they are completely accurately cut. You know, the, all of the edges are completely square and just amazing piece of engineering. So two or three of these niches have got these gigantic boxes. And then you go down another level and there's water down there. And there's another one of these boxes underneath the water. 
So again, there's all these theories. They call it the Osiris tomb or something, don't they? Because I'm presuming again, they think that it's some kind of tomb though, and that these boxes are sarcophagi. But again, the theory is, but you know, first of all, my question is, how on earth did they get those huge, I think it's basalt boxes down there because they're bigger than the shaft. How, you know, I just don't know how they would do that. And then also, what's it for? You know, what's the purpose of there being one underneath the water? And again, there are theories that say this is all power. You know, it's water. Obviously, water can produce power and that these boxes work some kind of like huge batteries. Again, I feel ridiculous saying it. Well, I don't think you should and feel ridiculous saying it because looking at it with our worldview and what we understand yeah. to be right and wrong, it doesn't make a lot of sense. No. So I don't think you should feel stupid. Right. To me, again, it's just another huge puzzle. So, so Dan's going to now tell us what the Osiris shaft actually is. Egyptians worshipped the, the god Osiris. Yeah. Osiris was the god of many things, but the things which we should pay particular attention to is he was the god of agriculture, which was hugely important to the Egyptians with the rise and fall of the Nile. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was the god of the afterlife. He was the god of um, resurrection. And these were things, these second two things in particular, that the Egyptians were the most interested in. Yeah. Because the whole reason why they did all the things that they did with their tombs and with the things, you know, because it wasn't just the, the wealthy that did this, it was the poor who did this too. You know, they took as much as they could with them because they honestly believed. Yeah, that they were going to need it. Exactly. Yeah. Now, you are King Khufu. Well, actually, first of all, before we, before we get into that, so the Egyptians worshipped Osiris. Yeah. Osiris lived underground. Right. So his tombs, and there are many across Egypt, are underground. Yeah. None are like the Osiris shaft. The Osiris shaft is the biggest and the best yeah. and the most impressive. But in all of those tombs, the sarcophagus, which is obviously empty, yeah. because it's Osiris that's supposed to be in there. Right. And it's the same in all of them. All of them have a sarcophagus, and that sarcophagus is half underwater. Right because it, that was just what they believed. You know, that's where they believed that Osiris came from. So you're King Khufu, you've just built, still to this day, <laughs> the world's most impressive monument. Yeah. You're gonna wanna put within that monument, the world's most impressive to, uh, uh, really it was like an altar. It was a place where people could go and, you know, worship the yeah. God of Osiris yeah. as part of your complex. Mm. And so my belief, now I'm not talking about the technological side here and how did they do it. Yeah, well. What I'm saying is that Osiris shaft is there for the same reason that the pyramid is there. Because the pyramid was the biggest and the best. Khufu wanted to look as cool as he possibly could. So what he did was he put in that Osiris shaft, that tomb, so that the worshiping of Osiris, because he would have had priests going in there to yeah. worship for him. And by doing all of that, he would have believed that his afterlife was going to be sweet. Okay, you know, I can accept that. Yeah. The thing I'd, it's all right, you, you just skipped over conveniently the whole technology side of it. About and how they did it? Yes. Right, I think what you should do now is you should talk about that program that you watched where that dude carved something with a piece of bronze. No, it was Flint, actually. I, I did, you're right. I watched a programme recently, and um, it, was, it was about Egypt and, you know, the sort of techno technological side of it, if you like. And the presenter of it was sort of trying to figure out how long it would take the Egyptians to make, for example, it was like a big stone sort of box with carvings all on the outside of all, you know, the different kings and what have you. So he actually went to a stonemason that works at York Minster. I know exactly where as well. Because there's, there's a, yeah, stonemason's yard that's in constant, you know, they work constantly on York Minster, replacing. Yeah, 
And they put it to him and said, you know, will you have a go at just recreating just one corner of one of these things? And we'll give you the tools that were available to them then. So basically all he had was um, like all different shapes of sort of flint and sort of hammers as well, you know, whatever hammers would have been made of them. Um, and he, he did, he carved this sort of one side of one of these boxes with the face of, I can't remember which queen it was, but it was one of the Egyptian queens. I think it might have been Nefertiti. I was just thinking that. Yeah. And he did do it. It took him weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of constant work. But what he, what he proved, I suppose, is that it is possible to produce, produce things that the Egyptians were producing with the very basic tools that were available to them at the time. Now, I say that, however, it doesn't explain how they made these boxes that I've referred to before. Um, out of, because the stone he was carving was a soft stone, it's quite a soft stone. Yeah. The, ones, the, the stone that these boxes are made out of is incredibly hard. And the only thing really that can cut them is diamond. It's like so, it's so high up on the hardness scale yeah. that the next thing up is diamond. Yeah. And you've got to ask the question, you know, how did they cut these boxes to the absolute precise, you know, precise angles? You know, it, it's just amazing when you look at them and they're highly polished. Yeah. And they've actually got also, when you look at them up close, you can see as if it's like a machine tool mark, yeah. you know, that kind of repetitive yeah, yeah. ridges, the yeah. tiny ridges that you get when there's a machine tool. Yeah. How, did they make, how did they make them? And this is the thing that I just can't accept really, that the Egyptians with what were told, you know, whatever tools they had available to them at the time, could produce these things. Yeah there was real evidence that what you're saying is potentially true, which is they would have needed some form of... Powered tool. <laughs> if there was any evidence of that, we would have found it. That again is but, true, and that is but, all that I, I agree with you. Why is that? Yeah, I agree. But though, I'm going to help you out here a bit, but we are considering a power tool to be something similar to what we use. Yeah, today. yeah. The left evidence. So, you know, you have to think that we're living in a time before plastics and yes, you know, really yeah. before much of a carbon footprint was left whenever you did anything. That's true. So perhaps there was something. Well, and, and in fact, in fact, they, they do have um, lots of items in museums and I've seen photos of these items. Some of them are on display and some of them are not anymore. Where they, they're like stone carved items and they don't know what they're for. And some people make up some kind of explanation. Oh, it's a, I think this one in particular is called the Lotus, Lotus dish, something like that. And it's the most bizarre looking item ever. And people, you know, who believe these sort of higher technology theories say that actually these are parts of a huge machine. And you just look at them and it's obvious that it's part of a huge machine. Look, you've raised some really sort of important points. I think specifically the one that we we'll focus on for a moment is how did they cut stone? Yes. Which, to our brain, can only be cut by a diamond cutter. Yeah. Coming back to what I said a minute ago, I think that if there was any form of evidence that there was some sort of really exciting, earth-shattering, groundbreaking things going on, that there would have been some form of evidence, there would be something mm. that you could sort of grip onto and go, hold on a minute, there's something not quite right here. So I come back to that dude in a stone yard around the corner from where yeah, I went yeah, to school, yeah. who just, you know, was challenged just once to have a go using yeah. flint 
And he did things which he didn't think were potentially possible. True. I think when you take, I think one of the most amazing things about the human race is take away all the gadgets mm -hmm. and give us some wood. Yeah. Just give us wood. We'll create fire for yeah. warmth and we'll start cooking things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So the human race tends to adapt and use to the farthest degree the tools that they have around them. I agree, yeah. And I have a feeling that, you know, you could be right, but I don't think you are with, with regards to this, because I think if we could go back in time, what we would find out is that the Egyptians were using things which we look at now and don't think, oh, you can do very much with that, mm. because now we've got an electric one that you turn on and it does it like way quicker. Yeah. We've forgotten the skills that they were using. But of course, you could be right. Well, that could, that could be true. And I think that's what makes, you see, I think that um, there's an awful lot of people out there who are making money off the back of these potential mysteries. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Because, you know, we, we do all like a mystery, don't we? We do. And it's, it, it's compelling. Yes. And you, I think human nature, you kind of want to believe these, yeah. these amazing things, don't you? Yeah. And you see, you, and you, you raised the point before about the, the, uh, the, the pyramid and I, you know, Khufu's pyramid, and I didn't really address that too much. I just said I thought you were wrong. The reasons why I think you're wrong, or, you know, in the first instance, I can only really give one reason right now, is, do you remember I sent you through that article? That yes. Found yeah. Where they found some, um, I think it was, it was papyrus. Yes. Yes. Uh, they found papyrus, and it was basically um, one of the many yeah. workmen who managed the barge yeah. that was sailing up and down the Nile, taking stone up, the stone that you were on about, yeah. specifically for Khufu's pyramid. I agree, I know, and that's extremely. Compelling, isn't it? The evidence that the Egyptians did build them. Well, what you've got there is you've got evidence that they were, at the very least, taking up the facing stone. Where I start to get excited and I start to believe that there might be something, maybe not quite to the level of power tools in 2500 BC. No. But you highlighted to me that there were some interesting things going on with the Great Sphinx. Yes. Now, the Great Sphinx, just to give you an idea on when this supposedly appeared, it was after the Great Pyramid. I think it was, uh, I think it was around about 2,400, I'm nearly second, 2,400 BC. Yeah. So supposedly, they think it was slightly after the Great Pyramid. But, mm. Go on. Well, Talk. no, I don't think, I think the Sphinx is actually way, way older than the pyramids. And I've seen lots and lots of, on the, you know, I've watched various different people talk about this and I've read lots of information about this. And the reason that people think that the Sphinx is way older is because of the weathering on it. And specifically the kind of, um, the area, the stonework around the Sphinx, as well around the base of the Sphinx. Yeah. And if you look at photos of it, you'll see that it's very weathered yeah. at the bottom. Yeah. And this weathering, experts on erosion and things like this have analysed it and what they've concluded is that the only way that that weathering could have happened yeah. is by rain. Yeah. And obviously rain has not fallen in huge quantities like that in that area for a long, long time. Yeah. And it did used to be much wetter, as we've already said. Yeah. So when you think about that, you know, if that's, if that's true, then the Sphinx must be actually a lot older. You, you but, also as well have got questions about the face, haven't you? Because Of the Sphinx? Yes. Yeah. Well, no, what, again, people have analysed it, and obviously there's quite a lot of it missing, and it's had a lot of repairs over the, you know, the X thousands of years. Yeah. So it probably looks a lot different to how it looked originally. Yeah. But people have kind of analysed the features and cross-referenced it to the types of um, 
faces around the world, if you like, the sort of anatomy of different races of people. And the experts seem to think that it looks more like an African face, yeah. you know, like a, a middle African person's face, yeah. rather than Egyptian. Yeah. So, just again, that doesn't really, yeah. you know, why would it, why would it have that type of... My issues with the face are that it could have been recarved at any point. Oh, and I said that, yeah, it and has been altered over the were years. A very multicultural race. And the, uh, yeah, the, yeah. The yeah. Way that happened was that pharaohs, they would go and conquer a land, and they did a lot of conquering. And what they would do is they would bring back loads of the young from that particular mm. land who would become Egyptian. Mm. It was very similar to the way the Romans worked. They didn't enslave them, they brought them back, they did jobs. Many of them actually married into nobility, and you know, some of them ended yeah. up being royalty. Um, so the face, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's very interesting, but I think it's just the, the, the weathering thing. Yeah. And, you know, they've put these theories to the sort of classic Egyptolo Egyptologists. Yeah. And the reply that's come back from people is that the stone that the Sphinx is made out of is actually much softer right. than the pyramids yeah. and therefore has weathered much quicker. I didn't realise I'm That doesn't hold yeah. with me. I didn't realise that the Sphinx was actually buried pretty much. It was completely buried. Yeah, till 1880. Yeah, that's right. It was totally buried. And that's another reason that people think that it's got to be really old because it was buried for a long time. And obviously, whilst it's buried in the sand, nothing is happening to it. It's not getting any more weathered. But how do we know? I don't see. I've got no idea here. But you would think sand shift. They do, don't they, on beaches? They do, yeah. Things but come and go. So it's the shifting sands. Are they gonna weather it? I couldn't say whether that will be the case. The, the the information I've seen implies that it's got to be. It could have only been weathered like that by water because of the the, the look of the weathering yeah. by rain. I mean, yeah. Um, so yeah, the fact that it was buried and then only rediscovered is another reason why people think that it's got to be really, really old. Because yeah. whilst it was buried, in theory. Yeah nothing was happening to it, you know, in terms of it getting further weathered. So that weathering must have happened a long time ago. We have raised, though, I think there, just through talking, a very interesting question in that how would sand have weathered something? Because I think, you know, again, don't believe necessarily... Well, it's a tough to be... Because you do sandblast things, don't you, obviously, and that yeah. takes off the surface, but that's really high-powered, isn't it? Sandblasting. It is, it is. But, I mean, I suppose if... I, don't, I have no clue, though, so I don't know. Look. I need to throw you a massive bone here. Okay. Because, I've, you know, I feel like I've been very... <laughs> well, it's no more than you've been saying to me for months when I've been talking oh, about this. This is the most <laughs> sort of pointed, because we've deliberately not spoken about this at length until today, specifically, you know, to sort of hit these points. I'll tell you where things get interesting with the Sphinx. No one has found anything that links the Sphinx to the pharaoh that supposedly built it. Right. And that, that pharaoh was, it's a hard one for me to pronounce. You may do better than, than me. It's K-H-A-F-R-E. Caffrey. Yes, yeah. Caffrey. It's the Irish beer from the 1990s. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. The only reason why it's been linked to Caffrey. <laughs> I'm sure I've heard, I've heard Caffrey, right. I've heard that okay. before. Joanne Fletcher might have said the that. The only reason why it's been linked to him is because they found, and it, you know, you really couldn't see it very well, but they found KHA engraved on some of the stone. Right, right, so in hieroglyphs, presumably. It's got to be Caffrey. Well, it doesn't, have, well, yeah. But, but, Tuthmosis III, yeah. who was a pharaoh many thousands of years, you know, we're talking um, 1560 BC, Tuthmosis III, he put uh, uh, like a plaque on the front, a stele on the front. Yeah. And he actually referenced Khufu. Right. So you've got someone referencing Khafre, you've got someone, someone referencing Khufu, but when I tell you what else it said on Tuthmosis' stele, 
<laughs> tricky, this is aren't where we? it gets interesting. Right. He said that Khufu, in the process of building his pyramid and putting in his Osiris trench, yeah. sorry, shaft, shaft. I do apologise, found yeah. the Sphinx in the sand. Oh, right. So how could he have made it if he found it? He didn't make it. He, he just found no one, it. No one, I, I was sort of leading you up the garden path to then give you the payoff. Right. No one said Khufu made it. They said Khufu found, found it. it. And that, and that is, could be why his name's on it. That theory also backs, it, it, it's also backed up by Flinders Petrie. And Flinders Petrie was the guy in, I think it was around about 1880, who did probably, you know, the, the most famous of all the sort of uncovering of amazing things. A very intelligent guy. I watched a program on him mm. a few years ago. It sounds that, familiar. With that really cool, quite handsome Egyptian specialist, the guy with the beard. Um, he's head of the... Some... Well, I'm interested now you said handsome. <laughs> What's worrying now is when we establish who it is and Kay's going to say, oh no, he's not handsome. <laughs> I can't remember who he means. I think when we get to the Sphinx, that is when things start to get interesting mm. because you cannot and there's nothing else really like it no there, there isn't there was things that came after it that were copy you know copies of it yeah because it was the sphinx yeah but you know that is when you start to no wonder no idea where we are can oh. i just say we're in the woods and honestly if dan wasn't here now i'd be completely lost it's actually been a very pleasant morning yes it's probably Five degrees too warm. Probably, but then we always think that. Yes. <laughs> so, oh, I know where we are now. Am I going left? I'm going left. Yeah. Yes. The question, I suppose, Kay, is who were this race, race of people? Of well, I don't know. I think I know there was a. To do. Well, I know there was a race of people called the Minoans. Wasn't and, there? Yeah, there absolutely was. And we're going to cover the Minoans and we're going to cover where they came from in a future episode all about the Greeks. Right. So the Minoans were a highly advanced race yeah. from Greece. Yeah, so that's certainly a possibility. Because what happened to the Minoans? What happened to them, exactly? There was a um, massive tsunami. Oh, well, there you go. That's a cataclysm. Yes, which wiped them out. Yeah. And they so, were highly advanced. Right. So, I mean, that's certainly a possibility, isn't it? And that massive event was the event which wiped out Atlantis. Right. Now, that, I mean, we perhaps need to do an episode on that whole Atlantis thing. Yeah, I think... Because that is a story in its own right. It is, it is. And I, I just used to think Atlantis was just this mythical thing. But I don't believe it was at all. I do believe it was a real place. I think it was a story which was developed from real events yeah. in a real place. Yeah. Which is what the Greeks used to do. Right. They used to take, you know, real events, a real place, they would tell a story of it, but they would weave in life lessons mm. along the way. And that's very much, I think, what, you know, the story of Atlantis was. What do you think, I mean, do you think that there is a high probability that there was, because we've not mentioned the fact of how did pyramids spread all over the world yes I so yeah because the the pyramids are not just in egypt there are pyramids all over the world yeah so yeah you've got to you know how how did that happen it's such a compelling story that you tell because you're saying that potentially the great pyramid of khufu was already there yeah he possibly repurposed it yes to yeah yeah. And, you know, an argument which many people would throw up is if you turn and look over your left shoulder, I don't mean now. Oh, I was turning. <laughs> if you turn and look over your, your, your sort of left shoulder and look, you know, just diagonally left behind the Great Pyramid, you'll see the Step Pyramid of Dozer. Yeah. That was built about 150 years before the Great Pyramid of Khufu. And, you know, to, to my eyes, that shows me that the Egyptians were gradually building up the skills to make mm, a pyramid. Because mm -hmm. what you see there is you see basically it's like five buildings with a flat roof yes. all stacked on top of each other. Yep. So you can sort of see, okay, right, well, we've done that. 
well, all we've got to do now is fill in the sides and then we've got a lovely pyramid. Yeah. But then I do start to feel compelled by, well, perhaps they were just trying to copy. That's what I think. There already. I, I don't think it became, came before. I can't think it came after. And I think they were looking at it. And certain, yes, I think there's certainly a possibility that it was the Egyptians trying to copy the yeah. pyramids that were already there and yeah. to work out yeah. how they were built. Yeah. And just the, the kind of roughness of that that step pyramid, when you look at it, yeah. it's so... Rubbish. Yeah, compared, <laughs> yeah, really. When you look at it, they must have just thought, oh my word, this is just a nightmare. How on earth did they build this? Because we can't do it. If your story is true. If, if my story, story is true, true. They will have looked at it and gone, oh my goodness, look at this amazing structure. Yeah. How can we make it better? So what you have is you have two very, you have two very compelling storylines mm, to, to, to mm. sort of buy into. And I'm, I don't know which I believe, to be honest. And because the thing is, you know, anyone can believe whatever they want and n nobody really knows and nobody but, will ever know unless something is suddenly found that proves one of these theories. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing, you know, with what you said about anyone can believe whatever they want, I think the most important thing to do whenever you're told something is to go away and do further research. Yeah, which is, yeah, which is what I've been doing and I certainly haven't read everything on the subject because it's such a vast... It's such a vast subject, isn't it? It is. Picking up on um, picking up the point we made earlier, which is there's an awful lot of people out there who get caravans stuck. Oh no, stuck there's in a the... caravan stuck in the bridge. Oh <laughs> if you remember gosh, from everyone, one, this is folks, hilarious. There is. They're not going to get through. They're there. not going to get That's through there. there. That's well stuck. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh. But if you saw this skinny, we call it the skinny bridge. If it you is, saw it. It's a bridge it, that was built in the time when people were traveling around yeah, with horse and cart. That's right, and it's very narrow. Yes. And we constantly see people trying to get through it that's completely inappropriate. But when you, were, when you first approach it, you would look at it and think, I'm not going to fit through there. Yeah. And the number of people that think, Still. I will fit through that bridge. And then we see them stuck and there's actually somebody pulling a caravan try or trying. They're completely stuck. And what usually happens is... You couldn't the reverse traffic, that out either. No, the traffic now is completely <laughs> stuck either side. And it'll end up with like the police or fire engine coming to try and get them out. We're home. We've got home. Gosh, I've got to say, I'm a bit tired. I want, well, my second walk of the day, and let's check my Runkeeper. 2.54 miles. Oh, look, my, oh, look, my Farrow and Bull samples are here. We're still debating on the colour to paint one of our rooms. Yeah. I've tried two samples. I've now just got another three that's just arrived. So hopefully one of these will suit me. I have very much trouble making decisions. <laughs> I find it really hard to make decisions decisions about pretty much anything. Hence this is now this will now be five different paint colours that I will have tried, but fingers crossed one of these will work. Folks, that is the end of the first in our regular run of the Baker Bears radio show. I hope so much. I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. Well I've enjoyed it. I've I hope you've enjoyed it, and even if it's maybe a subject that you've never even thought about before. I think it's, you know, it does just set your mind whirling a little bit. And even if it just sparks a tiny bit of interest in you to go on and, and read something about it, or maybe you want to visit Egypt, although at the moment it's very tricky, isn't it, visiting Egypt, unfortunately. One of the things that has always enriched my life is I've always found that understanding more of where we've been yeah. makes me more certain of where we're going. True. Yeah. And helps me make better personal decisions mm, on mm, you know mm. what the future holds yeah because yeah. every decision that we make does shape the future of the human it does race. absolutely yeah folks this is as i said it's the end of the first of our regular run of baker Bears radio shows we will be back on the 20th of september with episode six when we will be discussing a subject very close to my heart yeah and that subject is what exactly are the ingredients for a good book? A good book. Because my view on that yeah. is the polar opposite. To my view. To <laughs> view. So you can rest assured there will be lots of interesting conversation with regards to what we personally enjoy reading in a book, but also within the course of talking about that, our favourite books are bound to come yeah. up, most yeah. definitely. Yeah. Now, thank you all so much for listening. And we're so excited about the future of the show. We've got some wonderful episodes planned. 
If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, give us a rating. If you're listening on Apple and you'd like to, also, you could give us a review. And lots of you have done that already. I know, it's been lovely to read. It's been so thank, sweet. Thank you all so much. Um, we have got a very varied sort of catalogue of things that we want to talk about, haven't yes. we? Yes, yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, and we'll keep some of those, you know, under under our hat. All of them. For the time being. Yeah, but I mean, we'll just, we'll always tell you what's sort of coming up on the next episode. Yes. But they are really very different subjects. Yes, yes. Yeah. Now, if you are enjoying it, and if you have left us a review, please also tell your friends. Oh, yeah. Tell your friends all about us. Because one of the things that we really wanted to do with this show was get to, and we are starting to do that, get to a whole new audience. And you can keep up to date with all things Baker Bears Radio Show on our very special website page, which I'll link in the show notes below. Because we do have a Facebook group, yep. which you have to answer three questions to get into. You haven't even let me in yet. No, well, I'm sorry, you, you need to answer I'm not even in there. I keep saying to him, I'm not in this group. Will you let me in? I'm not even in. Folks, there are three questions that you have to answer. And the reason why we we really want to put those questions there is first of all we want to get to know you a little bit better but also we just want to make sure that you know because the world sometimes can be an interesting place we want to make sure that everyone comes in mm. is definitely a listener and the reason yeah. why i'm telling you that is i want you guys to feel secure when you're in that group yes we're doing all we can to make sure that everyone who comes into that group is a listener of the show yes um, so folks that's it thanks everyone thank you so much and we will see you in two weeks yay for episode six see you soon the Bakery Bears radio show is brought to you by Bakery Bear Productions and is made possible by our Bakery Bear patrons. Find out how you can join our Bakery Bear community, access more of what we do, and keep the show on air by visiting www.bakerybears.com forward slash listen forward slash.